The Transformers, more than meets the eye. Autobots wage their battle to destroy the evil forces of the Decepticons. The Transformers, more than meets the eye. The Transformers, robots in disguise. Attack the Autobot Commander! Call in the Decepticon leader! Transformers, more than meets the eye. The Transformers, from Hasbro. What are you waiting for? Now when you hear this question, your immediate reaction is that it's an urging to move, to go. What are you waiting for? Move on, take a step, get out of the place that you're in right now. It assumes, by the way, that there is just one thing that you're waiting for. And it assumes, by the way, that that thing is either already here or that it's irrelevant. You should go, now, immediately. But what if you take a pause? What if you really ask, what are you waiting for? There's probably more than one thing. Are you waiting for an opportunity, a calling, the right time to make that life-changing decision, other people, your family, for example, to approve of that decision, the right man, the right woman, the right job? There's that wonderful scene from when Harry meets Sally at the end of the movie. He's been waiting his entire life to tell his best friend that he loves her. And it's what he finally says on New Year's Eve that pushes him forward. How about this way? I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees out. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. So what is calling you? Is it something you really just can't answer right now? Or is it something that you know the answer, but you've been waiting too long to move? What are you waiting for indeed? Our lives can fall into patterns. In young adulthood, we pursue our education. Maybe we get married, have a baby or three. We start careers, companies, establish our reputation in our industry. Then as we age, we may be called to do other things, work-life balance, deeper meaning, starting out on our own, or finding ourselves on our own, either by choice or by situation. We reset. Then a third stage, retire, maybe, find a pursuit and adventure, relax, possibly. But along that journey, change happens. Rocks, both good and bad, get thrown in the path that we've made. And we have to stop and look at the rock. What do we do now? We have to move. What are we waiting for? The thing we have to remember is that wherever you are now, right now, it's not a placeholder for some other time when the call is answered. Your real life, it's already happening, or candidly happened, past tense. If you're saying to yourself, if I can just get through this, I can start living the life I want, then guess what? You're going to be disappointed. You will get through the thing. You will move through it or around it, but you may miss all of the beauty of the thing where you are right now. And when you get through this, the life you wanted, guess what? It will have other things to wait for too. The future you're waiting for is a direct reflection of the past you've lived. It's beautiful, and it's beautiful because everything about all the things that you've waited for and are a part of you are beautiful too. You are you because of the paths you've taken and the rocks thrown in your way. And just now, when the thing you're waiting for actually does happen, there will be more things to wait for. That's good and bad. So it's easy to say, so stop waiting, always move. But that's just not workable. Life is full of wait times. So yeah... Ask yourself, what am I waiting for? For some of them, you should move now. For others, well, those rocks may take some time to navigate. So wait. That's cool. Just be sure to live while you're waiting. As the famous Ferris Bueller said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around, you could miss it. And that's the theme of our show today. What are we waiting for? Let's figure it out. Move if we can. Wait if we can't. And in the meantime, your real life, that one you're waiting for... It's already started, and so has this show. So it's time for me to not keep you waiting any longer. Let's lift the curtain, light the lights, and get our little hour of life started. 
What are we waiting for? Nothing. Let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 186 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, June 4th, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who's not waiting around for anything related to content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I'm, I'm not waiting around for anything or just That's right. anything You're not waiting around. It's related. Like, no, the whole theme of our show is what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for Ooh, that's our that's theme it's it's it seems like that's a gwen stefani song to me it's it is it this is. the gwen stefani episode I, I did not play any gwen stefani during the intro but oh, it we man. could go ahead and just name it the gwen stefani episode if you like that's that's a you know that's a go-to song like if you were doing some dj work which i have been known to do on occasion i know gwen this. stefani what are you waiting for is a good solid choice it is a good solid choice it's very uplifting there's also thing. the nickelback song but uh i don't think we need to go there <laughs> i don't have i don't have any nickelback on my i iPhone. do not have any nickelback either i am proud to say i have no nickelback you're not on a nickelback, any of my digital uh, devices you're not you're not what's your what is your go-to like if you said okay i got one band to see what would that band be oh it's i can i i know at top of top of my mind and i'm actually going to see them it's tears for fears no way yeah i'm going i'm going we're going uh my wife and i are going to go see tears for fears and hall and oates they're coming to all they're oh. on tour right now all over the country um and but they're coming to la and so i'm going well first of all awesome hall and oates is a great concert yeah they, come on they are they are fantastic <laughs> i saw them in uh jk and our kalinowski our creative director and i uh we saw them uh, a few years back in Columbus, and uh, now for Tears, for, Tears for Fears is are both the original Tears and Fears still in? <laughs> yes. Is it just one or the other? Did they have yes, a replacement? They are both. No, they are both. They are both there and both sounding. <laughs> uh, from what I from what I've heard from the reviews, both sounding amazing. Oh. So yeah. I would have picked any day Flock of Seagulls for you. I'm just uh, saying. No, no, no. I mean, look. I mean, no, 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 no. Come on now. Come on. You know me better than that. I know. Yeah, but just, uh, I just wanted to say seagulls for some. Yeah, <laughs> just just wanted to have it happen. Well, somebody would you know it would not have been off to say like Duran Duran or something like that. But I I made the mistake. This is one of those things, and I'm a little worried about this Tears for Fears concert. And I actually have gone out and looked at the reviews for this very reason. I went to Duran Duran, and it was awful, and it basically blew up my entire teenage vision of what they were all about because they were so bad in concert and i've had that ruined now for me for the police the last time i went and saw the police it was it was just awful it was really the sting jazz band really more than the police but you know and the and the duran duran it's 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 been ruined so it's it's hard to go back and see some of these old bands because they're they're not what they used to be but from what i hear it's very much like a Billy Joel experience where Billy Joel is sounding really great. So I'm hopeful that they're going to sound awesome. Oh, that I'm sure they will. And I didn't know that about Duran Duran because I, you know, I loved growing up. Duran Duran was one of my go-to bands. Absolutely. But, you know, there's now, I've been yeah. to a couple concerts, though, where I didn't love the artist going in, but afterwards thought they were tremendous. Like, so that would be... Um, Katy Perry and Justin Timberlake, the two okay, concerts yeah, that I saw. Me. And I know you were there. You were there as well because I know you're a big Katy Perry and JT yeah. fan. But Look, I think JT's very talented. He's a very talented young man and he's a triple, he's one of the true triple threats that are out there. And so, but yeah, not a fan. Well, not, when she came out on, well, Katy Perry, she comes out on like a pink cotton candy cloud <laughs> oh god oh and god. uh and i and i of course i thought of you immediately and said i wish robert was here because he would have really enjoyed this 
you know, it's like you know me so well. I do. It's really, it's like flock, you. I'm getting understand you a, me, Joe. I'm getting. I'm gonna get you a flock of seagulls and <laughs> Katy Perry shirt. Flock of seagulls on the front, <laughs> Katy Perry on the back. That's, there you go. That's exactly I do have my be. Britney. It's Britney bitch T-shirt. I that's, do have that. You did so. see. Well, you did. You did see her in concert, but I. But I know you didn't hear her. Because she didn't sing. Of course, she didn't songs. sing. It was, it, it, no, it was, that was a train wreck of a show. I mean, that was just absolutely awful. If I had paid money to see that show, I would have been really angry, but I went as a guest. And so I was uh, happy to see the train wreck that was the Britney Spears experience. I'll, uh, I will remember that. So that, that's the <laughs> Las Vegas show, obviously. Yes, that's so. correct. That is but, correct. Yeah. But but hit me baby one more time. Again, a go-to song. Everybody no, loves no, that song. It's 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 I uh, no, and that's not really true. But okay, but I'm going to That's I'm not really let you a have thing. your moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Is, hey, speaking hey, of opening of the show. No, this should be our music episode. This should Let's be the music episode. Let's do one of those episode. sometimes. Everybody's going to hate it. We yeah. should do that. No sports, all music, all the time. <laughs> okay. We have that's an opening a, sponsor we should yeah. get to because they are just awesome. Speaking of acts and, and, and really amazing performances. Absolutely. So we are really proud to partner with our good friends at Video Blocks and Audio Blocks as well. And they're giving an amazing uh, bundle package just for PNR subscribers of $149. Let me talk to you a little bit about this. So Video Blocks, if you're not familiar with them, it's affordable, subscription-based stock media service. You get unlimited access to premium stock footage. And then they also have their sister site, Audioblocks. It has over 100,000 music tracks, sound effects. So all you content creators are going to love it. They also have a full complement of different videos and whatnot that you can you can add all these things with your videos. Um, and so the video blocks, audio blocks uh, complement, if you will, the team of the two is pretty amazing. So one of the fastest growing uh, stock video libraries around. They actually have 3 million videos. It's That seems like a lot to me. But um, And then your downloads are forever. So if you download these, even after your trial ends, they're 100% royalty free. Uh, they've got a great service called Creator to Creator that you really need to check out where you've got more than 1,000 artistic and creative lifestyle clips available. So just really, really good stuff. So the offer for this this package of what we're giving out here is you get a two-for-one deal. You can get audio blocks for free when you sign up for your $149 video block subscription today. So you get a $100 discount for PNR listeners. You go to that by go to cmi.media slash PNR186B. That's cmi.media slash PNR186B, and you can get that two-for-one combo. I, I don't know why I think of Mike Tyson. When I think, is that weird? Like, like Mike's two for one. He really only when in his heyday, he didn't even have to go two. He'd go one. That's and right. He'd, he'd be down. He'd be down for the count. So maybe you just need video blocks or audio blocks. Doesn't matter. But if you want two, <laughs> you got them. Bang bang. There it is. Just like that. <laughs> the CMI media slash PNR eight one eighty six B. Before we go on, though, I wanted to mention. Uh, I can't remember who it is. I, I totally apologize, but I'm, I think it might have been Jeremy Jones, if I'm not, uh, if I'm getting the right person on Twitter, that said the reason he loves our show because remember, I, I think it, I think I made that comment that this old marketing is neither <laughs> right. informative yeah, nor, nor entertaining, funny. Yeah. <laughs> nor funny. <laughs> it's like, yeah. So it's the it's the one two combination of what you don't want. <laughs> In any podcast, and we have it. So I just thought that that was... It's the one-two combination of a banality and stupidity. All for you, folks. It's That's... really just here. Well, we've, we've really cornered that market. I mean, The banality people, and stupid? Yes. Well, a lot of people like try to really be, uh, you know, like create quality audio content. We just, we, have, <laughs> we, we set just, really low yes. expectations out there. <laughs> <laughs> the production anyway. quality is high and the words are, yeah, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, Whatever it takes. <laughs> All right. All we right. should move on to the news because yeah. we have quite a bit to talk about, actually. Yes, we do. Um, there was this. 
It is that time of the year. It is the time of the year when little digital gophers come out of their shadow to see Mary Meeker's shadow. And if the shadow says hi, and I'm, I don't know, I'm going to mess up that metaphor. But anyway, <laughs> Mary Meeker's 2017 Internet Trends Report is out, ladies and gentlemen, and it is causing waves all over us in the inside baseball world who care about such things. We are going to link um, to the Ad Age article, though, you can find plenty of uh, uh, different articles that go through the different takeaways. But the Ad Age one, as they say, really focuses on the marketing side. So we thought we'd link there. And it opens up by saying, Recode rightfully calls Kleiner Perkins Caulfield and Buyers partner Mary Meeker's annual Internet Trends Report the most anticipated slide deck of the year. Um, at Recode's Code Conference at the Tarania Resort in California, which is a lovely place, by the way, I will say, because I've been there many times, uh, the PowerPoint groupies watched the influential analyst speed through 355, that's right, 355 slides in her presentation. They then go on to list out the marketer media-centric fast take on this article. Um, and what say you, Joe? Did you, have a, did you have a few takeaways from either the 355 slides or Ad Age's sort of take on the marketing and media stuff? I have, I have some uh, non-informative takes on, uh, <laughs> on Mary Meeker's uh, presentation here. We, yeah. We've talked about this, I think, every year we've been doing every this year. podcast. We have, we've, been, yes, we've had we a have. special little episode. That's right. I think one episode we talked about it the whole time. So I have a, I have a couple takes on this. First of all, the fact that they do this, um, Kleiner, Perkins, Caulfield, and Byron, with, with Mary Meeker's uh, trends report. I mean, every company should try to do this, like should try to have the sort of go-to must-see research report for the industry like we try to do with with content marketing and th th it is a content brand now i mean it is it is absolutely a content brand for kpcb absolutely yeah. i bet you yeah. they get so much business from this i, oh. I mean I, it, it's unbelievable and I, I i wish more companies would see that, that they yep. can do this in the B2C irony and is B2B not companies. lost yep absolutely so here's my takes on this so uh the, they talk about for I went through about two hundred of the three hundred fifty five slides, if you will, and the one thing, of course, mobile advertising grew twenty two percent. Everything's Facebook and Google. Eighty six percent is eighty five. No, eighty five percent right now goes to Facebook and Google tax. That's right. Which is just unbelievable because now I'm looking at every one of those stats that talk about how digital advertising is growing, and you just look at that and squint your eyes and you say, no, it's not. You know, what's growing yep. is Facebook and Google. <laughs> exactly. That's it. So that is, there's a bunch of slides. So it's worth going through if you're interested in what's going on with Google and Facebook. Um, I thought the, the section on optimizing uh, or the, on um, images, basically how search and the trends in search is, are going image-based, which we, we've talked about. We've known this for a while, but at least in a lot of the, the SEO folks that I've been talking to and a lot of our clients as well, I think the low-hanging fruit they're missing are optimizing their images. I think there's so many companies out there that don't optimize images. And if you see, if you look at this and you believe it, and you say this trend is toward more visual search, and you're not optimizing your images, you're missing out on a huge chunk of search. So that's mm -hmm. I, I thought that that was interesting. And I don't know if you had a take on that one at all, but the, the last the last thing that I just wanted to mention, I want to get some of your takes too, because I've got a whole thing of notes on here, was the when is the when is the U.S. real estate market going to drop because there's not enough Amazon Go stores that are going to be able to fill the amount of real estate that is dropping because there's a whole section in here on how everything, just about everything, is going shop from your smartphone. That's right, and nobody's going to store. And they're, except for this experience, everything's about, okay, we've got to create an experience. And even some of these stores that they, that Mary Meeker talks about where they sell like one or two things, but you go into the store for this amazing experience. So you're not really going into these locations to buy anything. You're going <laughs> for something entirely different than you used to go for, because if you're just going to go shop, you're not going to go to a store for that. So no, exactly. Well, it's the, it's the, it's the showrooming on steroids. I mean, that was definitely one of the takeaways I had, which is this, you know, broader issue of, you know, what used to be seen and still is for many of the big box stores, certainly this threat of showrooming where you go in, you look at products and then you buy them digitally. 
is now some retailers are starting to turn that into an advantage where, I mean, in Apple, we've, we talked about this a couple of shows ago, I think, where we talked about how Apple is completely rebooting their whole store strategy where they're going to turn them into, I think they're calling them community centers, right? Where you go in and you take classes and you have coffee and you have, you know, there are couches and you can learn and, you know, there it's an experience for, for the retail, um, for the retail brand. And, And I think you're seeing a lot more of that as a, as a huge, um, as a huge test here for, for, for commerce for sure. And by the way, it, it's probably worth noting that every year she tends to focus her, she doesn't really get into marketing as a, you know, as a real, she, you know, she talks mostly about platforms, commerce, trends in, you know, uh, like China and the US and Europe and, and those sorts of things are for, you know, for platforms rather than sort of anything related to marketing. Um, but, you know, obviously marketing touches that. Some of some of the things that that really stuck out at me, one, I mean, obviously, to your point, the, the growth in mobile advertising um, and the growth in digital advertising, um, you know, more broadly, which will touch to my commentary a little a little later on in the show. But the one thing I did want to note is there was one where, and they even mentioned it in the Ad Age article, they call it the most nervous making slide title of the day, um, which is the slide title that says, ad measurability can be triple-edged sword. When things are measured, people don't always like what they see, um, and users don't always like the data collected. And I think there are some data points in that take to me that speak to a couple of things. One is sort of the the dominance by Google and Facebook. Um, and you can even start to argue a, a few others, right? So the consolidation of where, uh, where, where advertising is getting spent. But two, sort of the coming, um, really, whether you call it, you know, apocalypse, or whether you think it's just a disruption, or whether you think it's something that's really going to happen to digital advertising based on this consolidation, as well as the data, as well as the fraud, as well as the bots, which is, it's, it's, you know, something's not working. So something is going to break there, right? It, it's just, you can see it even in the graph sort of just bumping up against this ceiling of saturation where something has to give here. And I think there's something, you know, if, yeah, I don't think in other words, it's going to be some slow hiss of a balloon deflating. I think you're going to see something break in the not too distant future where either, you know, advertisers are just going to flat out give up or somebody's going to figure out a really smart way to make this better or we're going to see some new platforms come along that really just come in and disrupt the space. And 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 so to me, it feels like this is finally, you know, when we're starting to see these, you know, these these graphs really bump up against what is really just sane sort of uh, levels. I think something has to give in a big way. Well, the, when you talk about somebody like a new platform, you you probably put your odds on that happening. Even though we think we live in this world, oh, of course we got Facebook and we've got uh, and Google and doing all their stuff. But if you think the the slides on Netflix are unbelievable in this, because Netflix basically went from zero to thirty percent share <laughs> in ten years. Yeah, I mean that's, that's amazing. Exa- I mean that's just fast. crazy. That's yeah. how they they were able to do that. Um, the 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 one thing I don't know if you saw this, but and it might be the first reference that that uh, Mary Meeker has ever made to it. But on slide fifty nine, she actually has a slide for content marketing. Did you see this? I I did see that. I, I did know. See I that. couldn't believe it. So basically, she talks about Glossier, uh, the uh, the fashion uh, media site, if you will, and how they sell a number of their products by telling stories and and really give away amazingly valuable information, and then that drives buyer behavior and them selling products. So I thought that, that, I thought that was nice. Was that the first time? I think it is. I believe it's the very first time that, that it's, that it's emerged in, in, in her report in the, I mean, certainly I think it's 20 years she's been doing this. I, I, you know, I I think it's 20 years. I think I, I seem to remember 1997 being the, you know, it may be even longer than that. It may be, it may be 20 something years. It may be uh, all longer than that, but certainly 20. Our job might be done, Robert. <laughs> that we've like, made, Mary we've made, yeah, we've made it. Trends report. <laughs> we've made it. We've made it. We made a slide. Yeah. We're we're one of three hundred fifty five, and uh, that might be enough. So it it, just it, it may be, be. 
it, it, it may it may very well the, be. The, I mean, the, <laughs> go ahead. Look, I'm sorry. you know, I think I mean just to just to wrap this up here, the 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 fact that the the slide that just says it all to what we're talking about here, Google and Facebook have captured eighty five percent eighty five percent of the growth in internet advertising. Um, and then when you look at that combined with the what you're talking about with Netflix growth, and then you look at the broadcast media, the broadcast television especially, where it shows growth and decline by network, where it's not a lot, right? Either way, by the way, it's you know it's up a little bit or down a little bit, you know, in, in any given year, you know, they're they're the time spent in a given network is is about the same, but the time spent with things like Netflix and internet video is up so off the charts, it's like. You know, time is a finite thing. You know, we only have so much of it. And so you have to, you know, we, we are doing more. We are multitasking more with our media consumption. But you can just see where, who, you know, what has our attention these days, right? By simply by the growth in internet advertising and by the time spent with media, Google, Facebook, and Netflix, those are the three things that have our attention these days. And, and when you start looking at that, what's the common thing? that they all have, which is they have the relationship, the direct relationship with the audience. That's where we go. That's We yeah. look at those as our sources of where we go. So to me, it provides a lot of opportunity, a lot of risk, and just a, a lot of chaos, quite frankly, in what do we do now, just to the theme of the show, about that if we're a business and we're in the business of marketing. Well, the, I think the key slide just to see what's going to happen over the next two years here. And we talked about this exact slide last year, but in this case, it's slide 13, where they talk about um, there's 28% of our time is spent on a mobile device, but yet only 21% of marketers' budgets go to that. Yeah, well, that's, so the, that's the huge opportunity. That's the right? gap, yeah. right? There's a $16 yeah. billion dollar gap. And at the same time, so print is still going to be hurting. We haven't seen that. That's The, the, the blood is, is still... Um, in the streets, if you will, with with the print area, they have twelve percent of the ad spend and only four percent of the time. So they're saying, "Hey, this is it's going to go down to four percent because everything else." So TV is thirty eight percent time spent, thirty eight percent of advertisers' budgets go to that. So it's probably yep. they're they're looking for for parity with that one. So that is going to be interesting. I don't, my last question to you was: Is there anything in it that the, the digital advertising has has now overtaken um, television advertising, like total traditional spending. And when you there saw that, is, I thought of yeah. you with that one. I no, no, no. Yeah, there, yeah, that. there. I mean, there is the the um, they don't they say I'm looking at I'm I'm trying to multitask here and look at it. Uh, but it basically da, 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 doesn't it say that in one of the slides? Where, yeah, there's a whole slide on it. Where uh, yeah, there we go. Internet ad revenue set to overtake television advertising this year, right? Um, and that's globally, right? Something that's already happened in the United States. It's a slide number 14. Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, look, we, we've talked about this on this show before, but I, I question that only because there are some digital spends that are getting placed on what we would call traditional television. You know, I mean, I have you know, to, to, I don't know how many times I've said this in presentations and workshops and stuff. It's like, I think we're the, the thing of television is ill-defined these yeah. days is television that, you know, that 18 or 50 inch thing that hangs on your wall, or is it a service, you know? And so if I access Netflix over an internet connection, but watch it on my big 50 inch screen in my living room in a lean back situation, am I digital or am I, you know, am I television? And the same thing with an over-the-top service like HBO to go or CBS's subscription service or anything like that. I think there's a there's a muddiness right now with where advertising, sponsorship, and television as a media platform are right now. So, yeah, I care a little bit that internet ad revenue is set to overtake television advertising globally, but kind of those things are blurring so much anyway it's like it it's kind of doesn't even well, matter but right? i think what you're saying is 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 correct is it, this slide might be misleading because it's meaningless it is meaningless. Same, because who it's only because somebody has said no that should go in the television category and that should go in the internet category but really what they're doing is the same thing that's right 
That's exactly right. It's the it's same like thing with it, content. It, well, the same thing happens with content marketing all the time because they they try to pit content marketing against advertising. And you and I are always like, "What are you talking about? You could you could have a really amazing advertising program that has that has important elements of compelling content, and you well, should have a content marketing program that has that has critical elements of advertising as part of the distribution plan." So what exactly are we talking right. about here? Right. Well, and here's an, here's another very tactical specific example. So. We know for a fact that General Electric, GE, is spending a good amount of money sponsoring a new television series. It's going to be on science, right? So it's their documentary. Each episode is a documentary on some topic within science, and they've hired uh, Brian Grazier and uh, Ron Howard's uh, Imagine Entertainment to produce it. It will most likely air something on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or one of those kind of networks. It, maybe it'll get on one of the broadcast networks, but more likely it'll be on Netflix. So here's, here's a brand sponsoring in long-form content a television series, which would normally be an advertising type of revenue being put onto a broadcast television network. What is it considered? Is that considered digital or internet revenue, or is that considered television revenue? And it really doesn't matter. No. The point is is that it's a brand's paying to sponsor content across multiple channels and the blurring of the lines between internet and television as a medium of distribution is so, you know, um is so messy right now. I don't think that I don't think that number means very much anymore. Good. So as we go on to the next news topic, again to sum this up is the whole thing, the whole report is pretty meaningless. I think that's what, <laughs> what you're saying, right? It doesn't mean we just we just wasted everyone's time. It is not meaningless. <laughs> Joe is putting words in my mouth again, which he did, by the way, last week in the tweet chat as well, when he's tried to attribute the stupid Disney's going to buy app or Apple's going to buy Disney thing. Which uh, see, you said it again. Retweeting. You said it again, right people there. Started retweeting. It. See, now I don't even I don't even have to say that I made oh, it up. Dear. You just said it. You. You said the oh, word. Dear. That means it's true. Let's go on to our next story. <laughs> Let's do that. This one is going to come to us. This one is going to, we're going to talk a little bit about journalism here, which um, in context with Mary Meeker's report is really interesting in everything we were just talking about. And this courtesy of the NeimanLab.org, which of course puts out wonderful content about journalism. The headline here is with a big Amazon streaming deal, Berkeley's journalism program is building a revenue stream. So the article opens up by saying streaming services like Amazon Prime Video and Netflix are desperate for more content, as we just talked about, and are willing to pay for it, as we just talked about. A new offshoot of Berkeley's investigative journalism program is trying to take advantage of that. When it comes to video, it's a seller's market for content creators. Streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Video, Hulu, all of those are locked in a race for content, opening up a new revenue opportunity, as well as the distribution channel, not just for big companies, but for smaller production outfits as well. Cut to the University of California, Berkeley. And they hope to take advantage of it. In 2015, the investigative reporting program at the university's Graduate School of Journalism formed Investigative Reporting Productions, IRP, a nonprofit production company to develop original, one-off journalistic documentaries and docuseries. In its latest move, the organization, which was formally recognized by the university earlier this month, inked its first big distribution deal with Amazon, which said it wanted first-look rights, meaning that it gets to see new ideas before any other company, of all the projects coming out of the organization. Big first for Amazon, big first for a journalism school, they, uh, which had previously partnered with other news organizations in the past in this capacity. What did you think about this? Do you have a, do you have a take on this? Yeah, I have a quick take on it, and it's this trend that I think probably I realized first when you and I talked to Amanda Todorovich from Cleveland Clinic about how, and I didn't realize how some of the search engines, Google and Bing, looked and they saw content gaps and they needed, they whatever the data was telling them, and they needed, they needed to fill those gaps with quality content and they would reach out to companies, in this case, the Cleveland Clinic, to say, hey, we will pay you. We would like to license your content, or would you create original content for us? And now I'm starting to see it all the time. So here's just another example of the Amazons of the world, the the Googles of the world, the Netflix of the world are so hungry for content, and for especially for original content, original valuable content, and they will buy it from anyone. 
And I think this is just another great example of how we can monetize, and we as any company out there, can monetize your content in addition to using it as a marketing tool. And so, I mean, we obviously, you and I talk about it in the book coming up, Killing Marketing. That's what was one of the uh, the monetization strategies of selling your content. And I don't know why more, I, I think it's just, I mean, I guess, I guess I'd like to ask you the question, why aren't more companies, as they're building out their content programs and these great, and these content studios, why aren't they thinking about this since Amazon, in this case, is so desperate for really good content, they'll buy it from anyone. Yeah. So why? So, anyways, I love the example just so we can talk about the fact that this is a this is a growing opportunity uh, because there's a real value in content, and Amazon is not going to create it all themselves. Uh, and just for the and we covered it on the show where was it Sun? I think they mentioned in this article where at um, were they buyers at Sundance. Where were they? Oh, buyers they were the, yeah. They and they and Netflix were the two biggest the buyers. Two big buyers. Yeah, to the two big buyers and, at at Sundance this yeah, year. Yeah, and if you go on and Netflix last, right, yeah, and if you go on Netflix right now and you go to new releases, you'll see oh, you'll see Doctor Strange movie that they bought the rights to, and they'll you'll see Finding Dory, and then you'll see thirty seven Netflix originals. That's right. So what what was your take with this? Uh, this I mean exactly the same, but just in a little bit of a different. Um, a, a little ang- different angle of trajectory, which is why Amazon, right? Why wasn't this someone else? And this goes back to you. We've, you know, we've sort of joked on this show, show before about, you know, how when we hear about a media brand monetizing its assets through products, and we go, well, of course, that's the, you know, that's that's normal. That's 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 business, right? That's what. The, the way we do this, you know, when we hear Netflix is going to launch a $1 billion product division where they're going to create products based around their media brands, people go, yeah, of course, I get that, of course. But when we hear about a product trying to create media assets around its product or brand, we go, uh, that's weird. What, what yep. do you mean? That's that's goofy, right? How would anybody you know, and then when we, and then we, and we often go, well, okay, for pop culture or for this thing or for art or something like that, we kind of get it. But for investigative journalism, no way. We would never, that's, that's just off the record. You know, we can't, that you can't go touch hard news. You can't do that because that's, 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 there needs to be a church and state there. If it replace Amazon here with Walmart or JCPenney or Macy's or any other retailer, right? And it, that has an online presence and an offline presence. Because remember, that's at the end of the day, that's all Amazon used to be, right? Amazon at one point was a bookstore. And that's all it was, was an online bookstore. And it has since morphed into this media content enterprise software platform that we talked about, you know, ad nauseum in a couple of shows ago where we talked about even Amazon offering a lawnmower service and somebody tweeted us they do have a lawnmower service. And so and so we look at this and we go, yeah, I get it. Amazon sponsoring the the program at the Graduate School of Journalism and going, yeah, that's really interesting. I get it. Why? Because we've bought into the fact that Amazon is such a big platform and a multi-tiered platform that has a media property and the talent to deliver that media that we go, Totally get it. I don't see any problem with that. The culture seems to have just bought right into that. But if this had been Macy's or if this had been JCPenney or Sears or, you know, Walmart or really just pick any on, you know, online, offline retailer, big box retailer that had done this, the world would be coming unglued right now with, you know, how dare they, right? How dare they go into this? And that's where we have this gap about the permission of what we have as a brand to be able to tell these kinds of stories or to support this kind of content. You and I have said before that we think that brands and marketing could be what literally saves journalism, although Trump seems to be doing a pretty good job of that <laughs> single-handedly. But, you know, we've, we've thought about that. And the, the, real, the, the only thing that's stopping those brands from doing that is talent and willingness. And this is a this is such a I love this article for that exact thing, which this is the this is a signpost that says if you just have the you know the investment in the talent and willingness you too now this program may fail but but quite honestly 
it seems like it's going in definitely the right direction here where it gets to basically be the platform of content for really cool content coming out of the investigative journalism school of Berkeley. And I just think that's an amazing thing. I love the take. I would just finish it up saying that and you've mentioned this many times on this show where you know this this perception of what brands are allowed to do and what what they they aren't allowed to do it's just crazy it, this is only going to happen for another 3 to 4 years max right i mean this is i think that we're we're going to have to get to a point where the right the the chief marketing i mean i say the same same thing about i can't believe cmos don't consider buying a media company and those types of things like i think these things are going to be just regular part of marketing in the next few years, and right now we're acting like, oh my god, this is going to be, I can't believe it. We're not going to be saying that in three years. There's no way. Right. That's right. And to be clear here, right, you know, because we actually had a discussion, you know, we had, there was some online discussion. Last week we talked about uh, Mark Schaefer's uh, excellent blog post that he did on Facebook and is on, on his own blog around this idea of, you know, content marketing and brand storytelling and what brands have permission and why people go to brands for content, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the disagreements that we had was there seems to be a perception, a misperception, quite frankly, that what we're advocating for is that this becomes marketing. In other words, that there is no other thing that we're only proselytizing the idea that content is the only way to do marketing and that's it and everything else is dead and we should not do that. And therefore, marketing is, you know, the idea of when we say become a media company or think like a media company or think like a publisher, that we're saying only think like a publisher or only think like Uh a media company and nothing could be further from the truth. We're talking about this being one part. This deal with Berkeley that Amazon is making is but one very small part of the portfolio of things that they're doing. When we're talking about content and media and buying a media company, it is but one small or big, depending on your, you know, where you are in your strategy, part of a portfolio of how marketing adds value to the business. We just believe that it could be the catalyst for basically creating a new kind of format when we think about what marketing can do for the business. And and so it, it, I love that. No, that yeah. point is so critical, actually, with the with the article that Mark Schaefer wrote, um, you know, talking about how we had had some of the disagreements. One of yeah. the comments was and it was a fine comment. Uh, and I know the I know the gentleman that made the comment and said, oh, I've been working with this uh, pizza shop in New York that is uh, is un, uh, that is, is has this great product and they've got all these competitors, but they've got this great product and service and they haven't had to market at all. And it's, you know, they don't need content or whatever is as opposed to saying, well, yes, that's great. If that's they don't need then they don't need content marketing. <laughs> That obviously they've got it all figured out. Maybe they don't need it. Maybe maybe they don't need advertising. Maybe they don't need content marketing. But it's so interesting how when you bring up the examples that you're bringing up right here, and then somebody says, "Well, there's one company that they just don't." Well, what? yeah, there's always a company. There's always a that's thousand right. companies that are doing it a different way. And I guess that's what you and I kind of as we go uh, giving these speeches, we want to say, "Look, you don't have to do this." You don't have to do content marketing. It's just one approach. And that's right. you might just say, and that's why I think the the biggest thing that we're trying to teach in our classes and in our online training and, and things like that is, look, if you're going to do it, do it all the way. And if you're not, don't do it at all. Don't right. waste your time. That's right. And I think that's where I would like to get. It's not where I wanted to have an either. It, 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 it's not where it's some combative relationship between other forms of communication or marketing. That is not it at all. It's just like if you choose to do this approach, just do it well or don't we, do it at all. We wrote in Managing Content Marketing, which I was just happened to be reviewing because of the book and everything, which came out in 2011, right? So – Six years ago, six and a half years ago in 2011, when we were just, you know, getting on train, right? As we were this, just wee lads, you know, and, and one of the things that continues to resonate in the very, very beginning of the book, we explicitly say, both you and I, because you and I wrote the book, we explicitly say 
This is not meant to replace traditional marketing. We are huge fans of traditional marketing, of direct marketing, of advertising, of PR, of SEO, of digital, of email, of all of the things that we need to do as marketers to create and create more valuable customers. Content marketing, this approach that we're about to spend 285 pages telling you about, is like butter. It is not meant to replace these things. It is meant to sit on top of these things and make all of them better. And that is what we have been, we have never wavered off of that. And, and, and that is the really, the, the key message there is that it can make all parts of your business better, right? As we're saying now, seven years later, we, we think content can be a business strategy that basically changes the aspect of where, what we do from a marketing perspective to be much more strategic. So it's still butter. But it just has even more opportunity to change the business and add value to the various functions that we do within that business. And that's, you know, anyway, I get off on a rant on that stuff. But but it's 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 important, man. I love it. <laughs> can it be um, can, can it be jelly? Yeah. Does well, it have to be butter? I'd rather be I'm jelly. I'm a big fan of butter. No, I'm a big fan of butter. You're going to keep it butter? That's fine. I'm, I'm a big fan of butter. Well, the next time you write your solo book, you can use butter. And I'm using jelly. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. Speaking of jelly and jam and butter, we have a wonderful show sponsor that we should talk about. Absolutely. We are super, super excited to uh, have another uh, somewhat regular sponsor uh, come to the fold here and, and help us out here at this old marketing. Go to webinar. Where should they go? Should they go to someplace? Should they go to someplace? Where should they go, go Joe? to webinar. Yes. There you go. Did you know, Robert, as content marketers, we're a bit like triathletes. Uh, just panting a lo- little bit less, maybe. Thankfully, I, I'm a triathlete. I like to try being an athlete. <laughs> I like to try to be an athlete. <laughs> Thankfully, webinars help us as we compete for mindshare across content formats. The research is clear, Robert. An effective webinar engages customers, builds thought leadership, and sells products. Yes, they do. In this wonderful ebook that GoToWebinar is uh, going to offer you, they're going to show you how to attract and engage your audience, create your webinar content, and interact authentically with customers. And you're going to go and get this. It's basically called Why. It's called Why Webinars Help Marketers Win. Start rocking your lead gen with webinars. You can go to cmi.media/slash. PNR186A. That's cmi.media slash PNR186A to get go to webinars. Fantastic ebook. Why webinars help marketers win? Start rocking your lead gen with webinars. And on a total off script note, uh, I've been using uh, webinars as part of my personal marketing and then as as part of when I worked at Penn Media and then when with Content Marketing Institute, we do two or three webinars every month and they are critical to our to the success of our entire strategy, integrating with email, driving behavior change. I am I, you will never find a bigger proponent of webinars than than us at uh, Content Marketing Institute. So thank you so much for go to webinar. Make sure you get this piece if you're trying to figure out how to make webinars work for you. This is a great one. CMI.media slash PNR186A. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely, yes. Awesome. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, thank you to them. Uh, it is now time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like, what do we do now? Or something that makes us feel like, okay, I'm ready for anything now. Um, and let's see, I'm going first because I have this old marketing, shockingly, um, again. Um, and <laughs> you so, know what? We should just make a rule that you just have it all the time. Because no, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't sometimes, sometimes, well, sometimes you're like really traveling and super busy and you're like, Joe, could you please find one? And I'm like, well, if I must, <laughs> I will try to do that. But you come up with a great one. You're, you know, you're just better at it. You're just, uh, you're very, you're kind. just better. You, you're just, you, it's just you, like, you, do well, you see what he's doing there, folks? Do you see how? Do you see this gamesmanship in play here? Right? Well, see, you see, you see how what this ha- works. Well, it happens yeah. at home here too because um, <laughs> I'm just I'm not really good at washing dishes. I'm just yeah. not good. I'm just not good yeah. at it. And I I tell my wife I'm like, look at the the dishes are still dirty. This is not good, y- honey. You're much better at doing the dishes. How does that work out for you? Uh, not well. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. She says, wash them again. Then that's what I thought. <laughs> that's what I thought. Okay. 
All right. I have a very quick piece of commentary here. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not really a rant, although it may sound like one. Um, and it kind of feeds off of what we were just uh, talking about earlier in the show with regard to the Mary Meeker thing and advertising and the growth of that. Uh, the link that we'll put in the show notes comes from marketingweek.com. Um, and the uh, uh, and uh, by the way, big hat tip here to my colleague, Dr. Tim Walters, who sent this over as an idea. The headline of the article is, U.S. brands will lose $6.5 billion to ad fraud in 2017, um, but the report that comes out and says that claims the war is winnable. Um, and the article goes on to talk about, uh, if, you know, if you read through it, it's hard to talk about how this year $6.5 billion will be the reported loss uh, to ad fraud in 2017. Um, this basically is from a, a ANA report, so the Association of National Advertisers report, which is, you know, a little, <laughs> you know, anyway, I won't get off on that part of the rant, but um Basically, they say this is down 10% from 2016 when the figure stood at $7.2 billion. And the ANA CEO, Bob Liudice, said, marketers worldwide are successfully adopting strategies and tactics to fight digital ad fraud. This is a powerful indicator that the war on digital ad fraud is winnable for those who establish proper controls and protocols and is exceptionally good news for the advertising, marketing, and media communities worldwide. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure. I guess that's my point. Is I'm not so sure this is such great news. So first of all, we're this 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 report and the subsequent quote from the ANA is celebrating that there's six and a half billion dollars of fraud. Right? Yay! We brought the war down by ten percent. Aren't we awesome? You know, there's still six and a half billion dollars of ad fraud. You know, last I checked, there wasn't a lot of fraud in content marketing. But all right, we can move along from that. The point here that I want to make is twofold. One is that I just have a question. Look, I don't know this this space. This is not my core sort of backyard, the idea of programmatic and advertising and the ad fraud, but there are people who are way smarter than this than I am. But I just have a couple of questions because I'm, I'm reading Mary Meeker's reports. I'm reading all these other things. And I have a question, which is, is it really marketers and advertisers putting in proper protocols and strategies to fight ad fraud, or is it a few other things? Google and Facebook, by the way, have captured 85% of the growth in internet advertising. Could it be that the walled gardens that Google and Facebook now are, are basically increasing the ability for marketers and advertisers to put their money there where there may or may not be less ad fraud than the sort of general display programmatic Idea, you know, ecosystem out there. Thus, more dollars going into Google and Facebook and mobile, where there's also less ad fraud. Thus, there's less money to be frauded, and thus the number, the amount of fraud comes down. Could it be that way? Don't know. Just asking a question. Could it be also that Facebook in 2016 shut down its completely its its programmatic ad buying platform, the Atlas thing, and basically said. You have to buy the ads through our platform. Could should could it be that Google shut down their programmatic YouTube ad server in 2015? Again, just a question here in terms of how does how does turning off different flows of access through programmatic ad buying how does that affect the ad fraud number rather than marketers and advertising being super smart and all of a sudden being able to combat this with smart strategies and, and protocols that they're putting in. The second thing is, and that, and that's just general questions I have. But the second thing is 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 actually, is this a war that we should even be fighting? Um, one of the things that strikes me here is that if we actually are really good, and as an industry we bring it down ten percent every single year, we're looking at a decade of meaningful ad fraud as a part of the ad media universe. So that's ten years. And so will we find ourselves 10 years from now going, yay, we have now successfully combated ad fraud to the point where we've put in all these protocols and strategies and ad fraud as a meaningful amount of the, the percentage of the media buying universe is so small. But then we discover it just wasn't worth fighting because everybody's off of digital ads as a platform, right? We're, we're off to other things. Is marketing changing underneath us so that basically everybody's leaving the battlefield and we keep shipping off more resources to the battlefield and we're going to get there and nobody's fighting anymore? And that's just a question I have as well. When we start talking about this quote-unquote winnable war, should we even be fighting the war to begin with? So that's, that's, my, that's my rant this week, I guess. So basically you're saying... 
there's a possibility we might be trying to optimize something that in three to four years won't matter anyways. That's correct. I like that. Should write that in a book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have a very quick uh, rave. Uh, I haven't finished it, but I got my hands on this book called No Opportunity Wasted by Phil Keegan. Do you know Phil? Keegan, I, you know? I know the name. Okay, I know the so name. I don't know. Best, Phil. best known for hosting the the CBS show Amazing Race uh, since 2001, uh, believe it or not. So wow. he just talks about this key, and uh, it, it's this idea of focusing on what you do have and what you can do instead of what you don't have and what you can't do. Let me just talk a little bit about this because I, I this sort of hit home in a couple of areas for me. So. You know, as I travel around speaking with marketing professionals, as you do, Robert, I hear about why they can't build a platform or an audience or get content marketing buy-in for their organization. You know, topics that come up include, I don't have enough budget, or I don't have enough influence in the organization to sell it, or I don't have the right technology, or we don't have the right team or people. And to me, in thinking about what Phil says here, it, it really doesn't matter what the excuses are. Once I hear any of these excuses... You know, I'll try to bring up examples of companies that had no budget or no technology or no access to employees. And, you know, they still built an audience and a platform and they were very successful. But, you know, when you start making excuses, I, I really do believe you're surrendering. And I hear that way too much from marketing people. They, they, they'll always start with, well, if I had Coca-Cola's budget, if I had P&G's budget, right. if I had their team, if I didn't, if I wasn't reporting to this boss, if it, there's always a million excuses that you can make. And personally, I've seen some of the most talented people in the world that I know firsthand talk about things that happened 10, 20 years ago as to why they aren't successful today. Yep. And if I've learned anything, if you believe, and this is what I really believe, this is sort of, I've, I've been using this for, for 20 years with people with mentorship classes that I've uh, been a part of with some of the entrepreneurs I, I work with. If you believe you aren't successful or can't do something for a particular reason, then that's the truth for you. That's absolutely true. You, It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Of course you aren't successful for that reason because you believe it. So it's absolutely your truth that you've made. So I really like what, what Phil talks about as part of this book about how we must always focus on what we do have and what we can do. And by focusing on those things and being incredibly optimistic about our situation and life in general, I think then we start to see the light and the opportunity. So I just thought, you know, just a, a nice little shout out to Phil and his book, and and, and awesome. it's, a, it's a good piece of content. So, awesome. And it fits right in with the theme of the show as well, which is... which is uh, Isn't that interesting? We didn't thing. even yeah. talk. We didn't yeah, even talk. But absolutely. That's, that's exactly it's the, right. it, you know what it is? It's, the, it's um, one of my favorite quotes, uh, Henry Ford quotes, is whether you think you can or can't, you're right. And, that's exactly and, right. You know, yes, and that's, that's uh, and that's that's a great uh, a great expression of that. Um, well, he was also right. talking. Well, he was, and he and, and Phil talks about how he's trying to teach his kids. The most important thing he can teach his children is optimism, because he, yeah, he believes exactly. if they're opti- yeah if they're optimistic, they can handle any negatives that come their way. So you really have was, to learn, and it's an art. You have to learn to be optimistic. So. I was just watching um, CBS this morning, and a uh, great show that we watch every Sunday, and, and they had um, Carl Reiner, Dick Van Dyke, uh, and Norman Lear on, who are all in their mid-90s. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're mid-90s. And they asked them, they said, what is the secret of, um, uh, what is the secret of living and long and as healthy as you guys seem to be? And they said exactly that, having no stress and thinking positively and basically having a good outlook on life was one of their biggest secrets of having the extended life that they did. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's wonderful. All right. Well, speaking of that, um, so the, this old marketing, um, we have a fun one this week. Um, so my, so we have a, a bit of a, uh, a policy in the Rose household, um, which is, uh, my wife gets a nice car and I do not. So <laughs> that's been, that's basically been the policy for some time. Um, because one, I don't care about cars, never been a car guy, ne- don't, don't have never cared about cars in my life. Um, though weirdly I've had a gajillion cars in my life. Um, and so, but I don't, I have never cared about driving a nice car, but my wife on the other hand cares deeply about driving a nice car. So a few years ago, we got a Land Rover for her. 
And that, and that has been her car du jour for uh, a number of years. And so as a Land Rover customer, we, she gets a magazine. Um, and she came up to me. And this is one of the, I know you've had this experience, but I have not had really this experience yet. She, she walked up to me this week and said, Hey, is this content marketing? And she handed me the Land Rover magazine. I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Finally, you get it. You finally understand. It's, it was a very, it was a very heartwarming scene in our little household. So, um, so that's it. So that's our, this old marketing example this week is a magazine, um, that, uh, that is put out by Land Rover. Um, and it's called the One Life, um, uh, uh magazine here. And the One Life magazine has been produced for about eight years from Land Rover. And what we'll link to in the show notes are two links. One is a, a case study that was done um, by the agency that now manages the magazine for uh, for uh, for Land Rover, and it's a print magazine. By the way, it's also an app uh, in the App Store. Um, they do not have a web version of it, but they do have a digital magazine as well as a print magazine, and. It's a fantastic magazine. So as the case study that we'll link to, which comes from CampaignLive.com, which was had done a case study of it um, a few years ago, back in 2003, um, uh, 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 actually, when they first introduced it. So forgive me, it's not seven years, it's, it's 17 years um, that it's been around. Um, and it basically, they said that the, the magazine has been a biannual magazine, so they publish it twice a year. Um, it's got wonderful journalistic articles in there about experience. Experience, about travel, uh, about what, you know, these wonderful sort of uh, experiences in food, um, experiences in sport, um, wonderful, stunning photography, as it says. And it's just been a magazine that has been uh, amazing uh, as an experience to, to read for as many years as we've had it. Um, but, uh, but more importantly, as the case study says, it's been successful for Land Rover, and they look at it as one of their most successful customer uh, loyalty programs that they have because it actually really speaks to the brand, what connects all of their different automobiles, right? So it's not just uh, the Freelander or the Defender or the Discovery or the Range Rover. It basically connects all of those. So they they include house ads in the magazine for the different um, uh, the automobiles that they sell. But basically the tone, the photography, the stories that they tell through these writers and photography all supports the sort of overall brand of what they're trying to convey with, uh, with Land Rover. Um, and really, um, uh, they won basically the most effective automotive title at, a, at the Customer Magazine Awards. Um, they have, and as the director um, of their uh, of their program said, basically they have shown a, a that they're really creating a a publication that helps raise awareness because this magazine gets shared. It goes way beyond their customers, even though they only send it to customers. But it goes way beyond their customers. It gets shared. It increases customer loyalty. And they basically have created a worldwide global effort with this. They now translate it into uh, 14 different languages, I think it is, and send it globally. So it's a global program that they've been able to scale across um, all these different uh, all these different languages, um, 14 different languages as, as it is now, 40 different countries, and 500,000 subscribers to it. And I think just a wonderful example of a customer loyalty magazine that is a great content marketing program and a this old marketing example. Well, I love that example. Uh, I mean, let's let's take this back to the beginning of the show when we looked at Mary Meeker's uh, slides on print and how you know twelve percent of the spend goes to print, but just four percent of the time. You're going to see more and more traditional print mediums die. They'll either go online only, or they'll just completely go out of business, and they won't be able to evolve the business model. That's why you've got magazines like this Customer Loyalty Initiative that doesn't have to be funded by advertising that will get more attention because there's just less print. There's just less of it. And if and you still six days a week in most locations in the United States and around the world, people are getting mail. They get the post. And uh, that's why I think there's a huge opportunity there because they don't have to support it through advertising. So yeah, it's 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 a really cool thing because you can stand out, right? You can differentiate, yep. and 
because, you know, where it works really well is where you have an audience you know you can reach, right? Because they're customers, you know their address, you know that they're going to read it, you know, and it's not just something you're shoving into a newsstand somewhere where you hope somebody picks it up, but it's actually something you're physically delivering to a customer um, and uh, and they're getting value out of it. And it's just, a, it's a, well, I think it's a wonderful, a wonderful program for yep. them that quite, and, and again, it's not the only thing they're doing. It's just one just thing that one they're doing thing. that's making other things better. And very and a lot easier to cut through all that clutter in a print format. It's exactly. a little bit pricier, depending on how you look at it. But if you're trying exactly. to cut through the clutter and get attention, it's a good way to do exactly. it. Exactly. So. Exactly. There you go. All right. Yeah. So what's uh, what's going on this week for you? I'm home this week. I'm home this week. I'm working on stuff, working on uh, a giant client project that I've been working on the last couple of weeks and getting ready for a trip to the UK uh, in ne- not uh, next week, basically. So... Um, that will, uh, that will be where we, well, well, I'll do it from home and then fly to the UK for our next show. Um, and then the show after that, I'll actually be in the UK for an extended trip for a few client meetings. So, so this is a, a week at home preparing for my trip uh, for the following week. How about you? Very nice. Uh, well, we're recording this, uh, Sunday and tonight is the Cavs game. They got destroyed. Sorry for the, yeah. Oh my God. Got destroyed got in the first down. game. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it, it was they lost by like 20 some points, but it was really like 50. I mean, they really yeah. got destroyed, played probably their worst game in a long time. So, well, yeah. I'm hoping they come back and, uh, and win. And there's, there'll be a couple more games this week that we'll be paying attention to. I believe I'm going to the, the first home game. So it'll be game three here in Cleveland. Nice. So, all right. And, uh, and yeah, and this week still, uh, we just had early bird end for content marketing world and we're just putting the final touches on the agenda. So working on that kind of stuff for, for content marketing world and, uh, and that, and then, and then just hoping the Cavs win a game this week. They're going to be good. They will. They, they, they need, will. it almost seems unfair how good the golden state warriors are. It, yeah. it, but I don't know. We got LeBron, so you never know. So he is, he's amazing. I love him. <laughs> I love you, LeBron. <laughs> right. That is our cue, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. And it is it. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. Thank you to GoToWebinar and Videoblocks for sponsoring our little hour of nonsense here. And if you like this little hour of nonsense, episode 186, only 14 away, folks, to the 200, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We like the kind reviews. Give us a lot of kind reviews. We like that. And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And if you leave us a review or if you subscribe, and that happened a couple of times this week, tweet us up, won't you? Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing. We really love to... Thank you personally for that. Um, and we really appreciate you as a subscriber to our little show here. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. You know we love them. You know we need them. Hashtag us up, This Old Marketing on Twitter. Or you can always send an email in to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes that goes to publish on Monday night. And of course, in the replete Technicolor glory at the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember... It's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.